0: At Forb.
1: Guess what? The ADL, the KGB, and uh, CIA, they're all Jewish-controlled organizations, okay? So why wouldn't we lump them all together in one sentence, okay? Th- thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, well, welcome, everybody. Pastor Eli James here along with Michael Swede. How are you doing, Michael?
2: Oh, I'm doing very good here this evening in Sweden. So it's uh, still winter here, but not so freezing cold. I hope you have a bit warmer at your place.
1: It's just starting to get warm up, uh, you know. But it's been freezing cold for the last two, three weeks. Uh, but yeah, it, it, there are signs that people are waking up. I just got a text yesterday from uh, on my cell phone that said nearly sixty percent of young Americans either don't believe in the Holocaust or don't care. <laughs> right. And so I looked it up online, and of course now you're you're. When you're looking online, the mass, vast majority of sites are going to be, uh, what do you call it, uh, mainstream Jew-controlled sites, right? The vast majority of them are, okay? So they track they dr- it down to 25%. So uh, let me just uh, read this here real quick before we get back to our subject, which is the, the Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. Anyway, it says here, nearly a quarter of young Americans believe the Holocaust didn't happen or has been exaggerated. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's good. Hooray. We're having an effect. People are waking up. It's about time. Anyway, one in 10 young Americans believes that the Holocaust never happened, while 23% think it's a myth or that the number of those killed has been exaggerated. In a 50-state survey, now of course we're this is the Jewish uh, opinion of the of the poll results, right? In a 50-state survey of Americans aged between 18 and 39, 12 percent said they had never heard or thought they had never heard the word Holocaust before. <laughs> man, given all of the propaganda day in and day out, man, the, the trillions of dollars they're spending on this propaganda is not working too well, is it, Michael?
2: And that's very good. That's very good news that they're wasting their money. And, and there's very good news <laughs> right. that the youngsters see that it's a myth. So it's, it's so good. It's just a, a scheme to to get out money out of Germany, out of America, to getting money out of us so they can sustain their their bastard state. It's a lie.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a, now, even worse. Some younger Americans appear to have bought into conspiracy theories. (laughs) Okay. Uh, We should change the name of our website to Conspiracy Theory Headquarters. Being shared on social media and some can't name a single concentration camp. Oh, how about Gaza?
2: That's an actual one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it exists right now. Gaza is the Jewish Auschwitz.
2: Yes, that's their model they want to have for us, everybody else, in their mind. That's, for them, a concentration camp, in their mind, how they want for all of us. So this yeah. is how they want it for all of us.
1: Yeah, almost half of the survey respondents, 49%, said they had seen Holocaust denial and distortion content on the site. Social media, (laughs) hooray! We're getting through. All the trillions of dollars the Jews have spent on propaganda, and they can't stop us from fighting back. Okay, now let me put it. Let me ask you a question, Michael. How is it possible that we can have an honest discussion of the Holocaust? if the Jews won't permit us to speak.
2: You can never have an honest discussion because they choose who sits in their in their studios in their with their nice, uh, what do you say, shiksa girls that ask the questions, right. you know, but they are still, they are the ones choosing who want to speak and they never choose someone that is critical. They only choose the one that, is, that will say what they want them to say, not what they don't want them to say. That is a Jewish free speech when only Jews right. speak. There you go. That's
1: Jewish free speech, right? What are they afraid of? I mean, if they have all the facts and information, why are they afraid to debate us?
2: Because they don't have it. They don't have the facts. that's that's why the holocaust laws now is the last the last resort because no one believed it that's why that was the last resort after Ernst Sundel. he was i guess one of the one that made us that those holocaust laws now is in so prevalent in all of europe it kind of tells you something when there is a law against criticizing something that it is an obvious lie
1: that's right there you go and if you don't believe the lie you go to jail in europe Now, here, the Jews have to be more subtle about it. They they contrive offenses that don't exist, like, uh, you know, littering on somebody's lawn if you distribute anti-Holocaust literature, right? But since we have a First Amendment, which guarantees freedom of speech, the the Jews cannot dare to overturn that amendment. They they would have to get a, I think it's a two-thirds majority of the state legislatures to overturn the First Amendment, but the, that's wrapped up in freedom of religion, freedom of association, and things like that. There's no way they're going to overturn that, right? So and then, then they're going to try to get rid of the Second Amendment, too? No, <laughs> now the Second Amendment exists to enforce the First Amendment, you Jew, you, you Holocaust promoter of lies. It's a legacy of lies is what the Holocaust is. More than a third of respondents, 36%, thought fewer than 2 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. And 63% were unaware that the actual number of Jews killed was 6 million. The reason they're unaware of that because it's a lie. There was not a single Jew gassed in, in, in any concentration camp. Almost half, 48%, couldn't name a single one of the 40,000 concentration camps and ghettos in Europe. Well, now, wait a minute. They're lumping concentration camps and ghettos together. I mean, wow. So Anybody who's reading this uncritically would think there were 40,000 concentration camps. Right? But there weren't even 6 million Jews in Germany before the war.
2: No, it was like, there was three, maybe. I don't know. I, I don't remember the m- number, how yeah. much it was. It was like half of the number. So how this, it's not possible. It's, yeah. And the Jewish, and the Jewish population during the war did increase. That was right. the real fact. But then they all, oh, they did take account for the Holocaust. So then they adjusted the numbers. But they did show that the, the Jewish population during World War II increased.
1: Yes, yeah. So here's a, a major lie. While most of the killings, that, that there were no killings at all, took place between 1941 and Yeah, you know, Why would you kill the workers you need to produce material?
2: No, you don't. But that was that, yeah. that was the Holocaust for the Jews. They had to work. They yeah. have to do manual labor. That's the Holocaust for them. Oh, they have to work. My yeah, God. Yeah, there you
1: go. That's the real Holocaust. Excellent, Michael. Excellent. Well, the same thing applies to slavery in the South. Why would a a slave owner kill or harm his own worker? Right, his uh, you know, like would he kill a donkey or a horse?
2: Never, never. No,
1: no. They're very expensive. Uh, Black slaves were very, very expensive. There's no way Uh, he he would harm a black slave unless the guy was so rowdy that he wouldn't work. You know, so what does he what does he do with a horse that won't pull a plow <laughs> or, or, or an axe that won't pull a plow what, what does he do with it
2: okay. well it, it doesn't beat it anyway Here I try yeah. to try, try to help the animals it will okay what's the problem with the animal yeah. and you will you will make it so it can start to plow again maybe it's just yeah. old age maybe. Or is
1: yeah, right, old age. Yeah, well, and this is what Lincoln said the problem was in the South. There were so many mulattoes and, and old blacks being fo- being sent north, that the, and the northern people didn't want them. Stop sending us your farm animals, okay? <laughs> Will you please stop sending us your farm animals? We don't want them.
2: Farm animals, yeah.
1: That was the attitude of the average northerner except for the Eastern liberals who were paid off by the international Jew banksters. That's the reality of racial relations previous to the civil war folks. Don't you believe any other lie? Okay. That's the way things were. Okay. So anyway, a couple more statements here. Yeah. Uh, so they claim that Dachau, outside Munich, that was built in 1933, initially intended a whole political person. Now, but they even admit that uh, the, the uh, so-called Holocaust, the, the actual numbers of people supposedly killed, was in late, the last two years of uh, the war. Okay. So wh- what happened? Weren't those other Jews before the last two years working? In, in those, and they had, you know, they had uh, three, two breakfasts. They had swimming pools. They had Jewish orchestras. I mean, the Jews were probably uh, the ghettos in Europe were weren't as sophisticated as the the, the concentration camps, right? And they, they learn the value of work, <laughs> right? Jews need to learn the value of work. And we know that Jews criticize other Jews for, for the lack of a work ethic, right? So, folks, it's coming apart. The, the Jewish mind control of planet Earth is falling apart. Good news for everybody. Okay, so uh, where did we leave off last time? Uh, okay, and, and Mark- before we get back, okay. Because uh, I shared the uh, internet link. Uh, you and I have the uh, PDF version, but uh, uh, tell me where we left off, if you remember.
2: Yes, objection three. The ancient would have not had no concept of genetics. This is uh, concordism and you're in inconsistent. And that is on page 19 in our PDF.
1: Okay, so this is evidence three. The Nephilim were not physiologically
2: normal. <laughs> Is that uh No, Objection 3.
1: Okay, objection, objection 3. Okay, I'll have to search for it. Uh, uh, and uh, the end. Oh, okay, well, evidence, because we have the angelic hybrid view, which is uh, the two seed line position, okay, that the uh, fallen angels hybridize with Adamic women, and uh, that is the reality. So let me just type in so I can find objection.
2: You want me to start reading?
1: Uh, Yeah, okay. But uh, a couple of people have sent me uh, notes that they uh, ask you to read a little slower. Okay. uh, Yeah, because uh, not that your American accent is bad, okay, but uh, there are some people in the South... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who have difficulty with northern accents? Put it that way, all right. And, and you don't have to bother, you know, uh, reading the quotations and the uh, par- par- uh, parentheses. Okay, because uh, we're sharing this material anyway with most people; that they can read along with us. Okay, so just go a little slower, slower, and uh, let's go. Okay, so I have je- objection one. Let me see if I can find. Okay. Oh, I see that. Uh, okay. Give me one second. Objection two. There we are. Okay, I'm at objection three. Go for it.
2: So, concordatism is the uh, hermeneutical framework that says that there is hidden um, scientific content in the Bible. The human author and original uh, audience were not aware of this scientific concept, but the Holy Spirit knew of them. Since He is God, God created the universe, and God is om- omniscient. So, for example, when the Bible speaks of God stretching out the heavens, um, Concordist will point. To that, as a biblical description of the expansion of space, I have written um, elsewhere that I don't think this is a valid approach to scripture, but I won't rehearse those reasons here. See my paper Genesis 1 Functional Origins, Temple Inauguration, and Anti Pagan uh, Polemics.
1: Polemics, yeah. Polemics. Okay, I'm not sure what he's trying to say here. So, for example, when the Bible speaks of God stretching out the heavens, and the word for uh, the mistranslated as firmament is "raka," which means space. <laughs> it means space, okay? And this space is stretching out the heavens. So it's not talking about a dome, it's talking about empty space, the, the heavens, okay? So uh, that's a false translation among thousands in the King James Version, which leads people to think that there is a, an actual dome, that you can't uh, shoot a, a rocket past this dome and get to the moon, <laughs> or to Mars and the solar system, right? So, uh, yeah, again... There's mm-hmm. nothing in Scripture that says the earth is flat, and there's nothing in Scripture that says there's a dome. That's a false translation and a false interpretation of the word raka, okay? Very clear, raka means to spread out, okay? So uh, I don't know if he makes that argument, but again, here the King James Version, which is the Jewish version, perversion of the Bible Gives us false information. Back to you. Uh,
2: The point here is that I'm being inconsistent. On the one (laughs) hand, okay. (laughs) Uh, When it comes to passage, we'll
1: we'll take your word on that.
3: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry.
2: When it comes to passage like Genesis 1 and 2, I say, Interpret the Bible in the light of its ancient Near Eastern context. Don't read our modern Western concepts into this ancient Near Eastern text. But on the other hand, I'm arguing that the Nephilim are a genetic anomaly. Anomaly. There you go. I don't think I'm being inconsistent at all. <laughs> it's true that the author of Genesis would not have known about genetics but you don't need to understand dna to figure out that if you cross different species, species you yes. get something unique <laughs>
1: right or that's not really, well that's half the, half of both kinds right which violates the law in genesis 1:11 and says they have their seed within themselves and breed kind after kind all right so when you yeah. cross breed species you break that rule All right, back to you.
2: In the 19th century, which was before the discovery of the DNA, Charles Darwin knew that if you breed two different kind of dogs, you get a dog similar to, but not like either. Right. This is called selective breeding. He used selective breeding as an illustration for how natural selection worked in the wild. Except in the case of, of selective breeding human beings um, decided with traits were passed on, whether than an animal's natural circumstance.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. and oh yeah, uh, this is good stuff because uh, there's a difference between selective breeding and selective evolution, okay? Because evolution, the, the, no animals in the uh, natural world decide to interbreed. Okay? They don't decide. And there's no evidence whatsoever for uh, mutations creating a positive species after mutating. No, it's uh, mutations cause one or two things, death or illness. There's no evidence whatsoever whatsoever that there is positive mutation and every geneticist knows this right but they keep their mouths shut because evolution must be taught in the schools all right back to you
2: um people knew that traits were passed down from parent to offspring long before the mechanics of how it all worked were discovered
1: yeah yeah, you can ride a bicycle without knowing how to build one, right? Okay.
2: So, it isn't at an implausible to say that ancient knew that if you crossed a divine being and a human, you would get something freaky. Oh, yeah, a Jew. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, beside all of this, ignores the fact that First Enoch explicitly says that the reason the Nephilim were a giant is because they were the result of the watchers mating with women. First of Enoch was definitely uh, written long before the discovery of DNA. And, as I said above, the divinely inspired text of 2 Peter 2 and Jude 7 put their stamp of approval on this Enochian interpretation of the Genesis 6 events. In a way, this objection is simply a red herring.
1: Okay, well, yeah, the, uh, the evidence is everywhere that well, it's called multiculturalism, right? That multiculturalism was a deliberate tactic of the fallen ones in mating with Adamic women. And, of course, the Judeo-Christians, and this author included, does not understand that the meaning of the word Adam is to show blood in the face. And this is why the King James perversion translates eight or nine different words as man, even though they have totally different meanings because they want to obscure the fact that the word adam means to show blood in the face and refers only to white people, okay? This is why the King James text is a perversion, folks. It's deliberately designed to obscure racial reality. How many more objections do we have here? (laughs) Okay, so anyway, uh, objection four, uh, so I, I think he's going through objections of the people who don't believe in the fallen angel theory. Okay, back to you.
2: Yes, so objection four. Sexual desire is a biological urge. How did these angels get a biological urge?
1: Well how did Lucifer get the urge to rebel against Yahweh?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. Well <laughs> they were watchers. They were able to see from heaven what's going on down here on earth, right? What about demons? Don't they know what's going here? Even the devil reads scripture, right? There's a verse that says that. And so they know what's going on. It's Judeo-Christians and pagans who don't know what's going on. Back to you.
2: Yeah. Uh, they don't want to grow up.
1: <laughs> They're teenagers, right? Yeah, um, Teenagers. Yeah. Uh,
2: as Arjo above, angelic beings are capable of becoming physical creatures. We have plenty of examples in the Old Testament. Perhaps, at one point, God sent these angelic beings out on a mission to do something. Perhaps, having been embodied at the time of seeing human women, oh. this was when. They got hot and uh, bothered and committed the transgression.
1: Okay, now this is something I had never considered because it's possible that, uh, you know, let's let's put it this way it's obvious that the angels that visited Lot in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah had the ability to take human form. And the homosexuals in Sodom wanted to have sex with these angels. angels that appeared in male human form. And there's other episodes. And even Paul says, be careful uh, if you meet a stranger. It might be an angel here to assist you, so don't, so don't take this lightly, right? Always treat people with respect and kindness, unless, of course, it's a Jew, <laughs> right, where you have to be suspicious of the Jew's intentions. But it's, it's obvious the Bible believes it teaches that angels can take human form no doubt about it, okay? So uh, his point is well taken. Now, what he's suggesting here is that perhaps these, these angels that descended, because, you know, my position on Genesis 1 is, is the, the Ben Elohim, the sons of God. Genesis 1 does not talk about Yahweh. Genesis 1 talks about the Ben Elohim who are the gods. Elohim is a plural noun. And unfortunately, the, the, this word Elohim is falsely translated as God when it is actually plural, gods, okay? So and, and Yahweh is a true God. But my view on Genesis 1 is that these Ben Elohim were the blueprint for the r- various races in the, created in Genesis 1, and specifically the Ben Elohim that had a Nordic appearance are the blueprint for the white race. And the evidence is clear that all over the world, wherever the people see these giants, who are the offspring, the Nephilim, have a Nordic appearance. They look Swedish, Michael. <laughs> they look Swedish, often having red hair and blue eyes and blonde hair and blue eyes. Okay. So what's the blueprint?
2: Yeah, it's the idamic man. It's the That's blueprint. Right. That's from our, from the women
1: that's right yeah and uh, and our women bear if we don't race mix our offspring have a nordic appearance all of us okay so uh, but, but you know we have uh, the, the white race has different characteristics we have brown hair you know brown hair uh, maybe blue brown eyes blue eyes hazel eyes etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, other races don't have this okay so our race has more variety than other races, but nevertheless, uh, the the children of two white people are going to be white, and they're not going to be black or Oriental or Amerindian or any such thing, right? So people ignore this. And, of course, now it's interesting that the theory of evolution would have us believe that uh, uh, mutations breed more stronger, more intelligent, more powerful, uh, better uh, offspring, but there's no, no evidence that that has ever occurred, and there's there's no evidence whatsoever that a uh, you know, a an improvement has occurred in a, in what we call a not a mutation but uh, a, a simple change like a a bird changing color still is a bird <laughs> right <laughs> just because a bird changes color when it changes its environment doesn't make it something higher than a bird. Okay, so there's really no evidence whatsoever that evolution has, has ever happened. It's a big fat Jewish lie, and the Jews are, created this lie just to confuse us. Okay, and I don't care if it was started by Darwin, the Jews have exploited it against us to destroy what Christianity, folks, destroy the true Bible, which they don't believe in either. Okay, so all right, please continue. So, anyway, what he's suggesting here. Is that all right? These maybe these fallen ones had the ability to incarnate as part of their angelic you know, uh, nature, but then once they cohabited with with women, then they could not ascend back into the heavenly sphere. Okay, maybe that's what's being being told us here. That's interesting. All right, back to you.
2: Thank you. So, mm-hmm. if you believe 1st Enoch's narrative of the Watchers descending on Mount Hermon, which is uh, picked up in Brian Godava's novels, The Chronicles of the Nephilim, then this sin was pre mediated. The Watchers right. descended okay. from Mount Hermon, having been sent out by God, but they wanted to be worshipped as gods. Oh themselves.
1: Oh, oh, Jews! Jews, they want to be worshipped. They Mm -hmm. want to be top dog, right? Everything they do is supremacism.
2: Supremacism,
1: folks. That's Judaism. Back to you.
2: Thus, they took on the uh, personas of ancient Near Eastern deities, e.g. Anu and Inanna, and set mm-hmm. up their own inspired myth and courts. They also had their way with any women they so choose. That's right. As we'll and, see. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the Jews still practice that today. Look at Hollywood. Look at the porn industry. It's just a way for them to seduce white women. That's all it is. Okay.
2: As uh, we'll see in my upcoming paper on Genesis 10 and 11 of this whole idea of fallen watchers inspiring pagan religions is not without a biblical basis but whether or not they decided to do this even before the tower of babel event is fictitious speculation on Brian Godova's part in any case first of Enoch whom the Apostle uh, Peter and Jude accepted as authorities says that they did it because they found the women com- commonly. Initially, this cohabitation was done out of sheer lusts, as Genesis and 1st Enoch says. However, later on, their motive changed. This is what Michael Heiser, Brian Grover, and Ryan Peterson called the cosmic war of the seed. The sons of God were trying to mess up the Homo sapiens lineage in an attempt to prevent the arrival of the Messiah. There you go.
1: <laughs> you got it.
2: Yeah, yeah that could be... Uh, these three scholars, plus myself, argue that the fallen um, sons of God, remembering the curse God puts upon the serpent, that through Eve would come someone who would crush the serpent's head, as right. well as everyone who followed him. Genesis 3, verse 16. They decided that they were going to poison the human bloodline to prevent the chosen seed from coming into the world from the new testament we know that that chosen seed is jesus the messiah jesus conquered the serpent of eden also known as satan through his death on the cross and resurrection
1: well i would say i would say here that it's an ongoing struggle Just because he died on the cross, that was only part one of his mission here on planet Earth. Part two is the Judgment Day. Okay? Then Satan will be totally crushed once and for all. Right? And we in uh, identity, non-seedliners included, wait for that day. Okay? And then we're going to see there will be no more Jews because they are the descendants of Edom.
2: All right? Back to you. He conquered over the evil power, and he atoned for all of our sins. We are no longer in the power of the evil gods, thanks to Jesus' atoning death and resurrection.
1: Uh, that's premature. <laughs> we are still in the hands of the perfidious Jew, the offspring of Satan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you know, if, if we obey Yahweh's laws, they really can't harm us. But uh, that is a whole different discussion, right? Because the vast majority of white people don't obey Yahweh's laws anymore. Therefore, they are susceptible to all of this deception. Yeah, You don't have to be evil in your own mind to do evil. Somebody can trick you into doing evil having convinced you that it's good, right? Like multiculturalism. Isn't that what the Jews preach? multiculturalism. So all these white people say, oh, uh, the problem in the world is racism. No. The problem in the world is Judaism.
2: Not racism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, and, and if you wouldn't have this multiculturalism that is, um, it's, doesn't work, it just makes our, our nation collapse, you wouldn't have racism. Because then would every race have their own nation state. That's right. Like they should. Yeah, like they should. Like okay. Yahweh set it up to be. Uh, this mm-hmm. new this is a you, you this is a jewish way this all this multi, uh, this will just end in a mess
1: <laughs> right, it, is. it is a mess already
3: <laughs> uh, <laughs> right.
2: yeah.
1: okay so for example you know the, the, in, in america it uh, it was promoted by lying butcher johnson who called it the great society mm-hmm. in other words the welfare state where you tax white people to promote black people and Asians and Arabs and others. So when, when the society is mixed up with all these people together, it's going to be a paradise. Well, where's the paradise? Show me the paradise.
2: No, it will not be because there are this start, this talk about equality doesn't exist. That's a lie, yeah. and that equality will, will then translate into to bringing down us, bringing us down. That's how they do. Then we are equal because we are on the same level as them, and for that to be possible, they need to also then race mix us away. So our so the IQ will be dropping.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And they even say that the Jews, the rabbis admit. That we promote multiculturalism because we can 't uh, dominate a racially pure nation we have to bunch, have to have a bunch of mongrels uh, who who don 't perceive our lies and deceptions okay yep.
2: yeah yeah so, so this is their this is their end game this is their their end game to get rid of us, and then of course they they started this Jewish feminist movement, and they made our women to be completely out of out of sync the yes. I mean the, the women's the younger women today they uh, they only chase the the top twenty percent and then eighty percent will will have nothing so the also the the birth rate is going down very much because of this,
1: yes yeah. also. Because uh, white, especially white men have nothing to live for, if they can't find a white female mate to have a family with, uh, you know it becomes uh, very uh, self defeating. You know, they white especially younger white males don't see any point. That that's why young white males don't even bother to date anymore because the women that are available are either feminists or collaborators. In some form against their own race.
2: Okay? Yeah. Exactly. Or they are, they, or it's just, yeah, they are only out for the materialistic. They, they have turned totally yeah. materialistic. Right. So they believe if you got lots of money, then you're perfectly good. You can be a psychopath, but you have much money. They don't care. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Because those that have it, they often they are. They are yeah. often, they, they have not received it by good. Uh, that is not, a, have a lot of money. That's not good. Yeah.
1: Take a look at all the female performers that have come out of Disneyland. You know the uh, what was it the, uh, the, the uh, what, I forgot to call them the, the Musketeers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, such as Annette Funicello and Britney Spears, and I, I don't know if uh, Taylor Swift was ever a Musketeer, but uh, they all promote Satanism. Their music oh, yeah. promotes Satanism.
2: Yeah, and the one okay. word, one word, uh, one new, a new order, one, yep. uh, one religion, one world, and all yeah. this. That's they always one of those actors will always promote it. They're always one willing to do it.
1: Yeah, take the jab, take the jab. You know, uh, take your moral advice from these uh, you know, se- sexually uh, motivated w- uh, performers. Okay, not from the Bible. And I, I would almost say, you know, from your local uh, pastor. But the problem is, the local pastors don't teach against this form of Satanism.
2: Okay? No, they don't. No, they don't. no, they, no, no, yeah. no, they don't.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're not Homo sapiens. They're homosexuals. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. And by the way, homosexuals don't don't produce more Homo sapiens. Thank you very much
2: yeah so um, the the world has been they have turned everything against the white race because this is their end game, yeah the women against and then this influx of aliens, so that is the alien invasion they, right. they, i don't think there won 't be any alien invasion. theres no proof of that mm-hmm. they just will make something up to try no, to get people together.
1: Now, the problem for evolutionists is, they, you know, they, they see this as a good thing, but the world is not becoming better <laughs> as, as a result of this kind of evolution, right, where you blend genomes together, genomes which were designed to pr- to produce uh, tried and true according to the seed within itself and like beginning like, right? That has never produced a good result, never. All right. Please continue.
2: Yes, so let's continue. Um, As Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15 says, And you, who were dead in your uh, trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him.
1: Okay, now this is a very, very loaded passage because the Judeos, and this guy is definitely a Judeo, uh, they assume that the trespasses of the entire human race were forgiven at the cross. But that's not possible because only Israel was given the law at Mount Sinai. Correct, Michael? Yes. And did he not say, I come not but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel?
2: Oh, yeah, he did. It was only a cross, no one else.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there is no such thing as dispensationalism where the New Testament is supposedly for all races. No. The New Testament is still about Israel, the house of Israel, and the house of Judah, and nobody else. We are supposed to be the light unto the world. We can't be the light unto the world if we become the world. Make sense, Michael?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, We shouldn't be using logic, (laughs) right? The Jews don't want us to use logic about Scripture. They just want us to believe their lies. And unfortunately, the Judeo churches have swallowed their lies Hook, line, and sinker, okay. So but yes, he is correct that what was nailed to the cross is our trespasses, Israel's trespasses, not the law, which the vast majority of Judeo preachers teach that it was the law. You know the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross. That is a deliberate lie. Only our trespasses were nailed to the cross. Back to you, Michael. So there is a grain of truth in what this guy says, okay? Because, number one, he understands that the Nephilim are the, the um, ha- hybrid offspring of the fallen angels, and he doesn't use the word white, but white women. Back to you.
2: Thank you. So now I am not denying it, um uh, penal substitution here. I think Jesus' death was certainly to suffer the punishment for our sins. After all, First Peter three uh, eighteen says, "For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." And Isaiah. Okay, that's
1: a good translation. Mm -hmm. That's a good translation. Okay, yeah.
2: And Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Okay, now
1: who is we?
2: We are the Israelites.
1: That's right. And Isaiah was preaching to Israelites. He was not preaching to the world.
2: Okay. Exactly. And
1: and if you are of the world, forget about it. You're not getting into the kingdom. You have to choose between the kingdom and this evil world. And the Judeo preachers fail to instruct our people accordingly. Oh, yeah. Because... Yeah, because they believe in race mixing, they believe in multiculturalism. Uh, they, yeah, uh, you know, they don't understand that the fractional reserve banking system is fraud, and uh, the Jews are stealing our money as we speak every second. The money in your wallet is being debased by deliberate inflation by the global Jewish banksters. They simply do not understand that. I mean. What what good are they? <laughs> These Judeo preachers. What good are they, Michael?
2: No, they are they are not good. They are good for Satan, but not for there us. They are they are preachers yeah. for for Jews.
1: They're promoting the satanic uh, agenda. That's what they're doing. But what? Well, Eve was deceived too, wasn't she?
2: she yeah, she was. That,
1: yeah. So they are just like Eve. They're still in the bark. They're still full of delusion, and they need to come out of their delusion. And that's why we're here to explain reality to them, and to explain to them that the Jews are not God's chosen people, but they are the synagogue of Satan, Revelation 2.9 and 3.9. Back to you.
2: Okay, let's continue. Nevertheless, to say that the penal uh, substitutionary elements uh, to Jesus' crucifixion is the only uh, spiritually significant aspect of it is, in my opinion, too shallow. There is certainly a Christus victor element to it as well. Jesus' death and resurrection is what was needed not only for God uh, to not hold us accountable for our sins, but also to reclaim the nations from the gods. See Genesis 10 to 11. There Um, you go.
1: That's still in in process. That's still in process. That includes pagans. And Judeos, who are just as deceived as the pagans. Back to you.
2: Yeah. And Deuteronomy 32, 8, and Psalms 82. There will be more on this God's alluded to the nation topic in a f- uh, future paper in this series, namely the one about Genesis ten eleven. However, I bring it up here because mm-hmm. the events of Genesis 10-11, to 11, Deuteronomy 38, 32, verses 8, and Psalms 82 are closely related to the Nephilim incident.
1: Okay, they sure are.
2: Now that I have put forth the evidence for the angelic hybrid view of the Nephilim. Let's look at the alternatives and see if they can explain the biblical evidence as well, if not better than the angelic hybrid view.
1: Okay. All right, let me pick it up from here. Uh, We have about 10 minutes before the break. And uh, Oops, I went too far. Okay, I'm always losing my place. Sorry, folks. Alternative one, the Sethite view. Okay, so there is this view with among the Judeos that the Nephilim are actually Sethites, right? So that, that, I know that's what the position is. So what, before I even read this, what do you think of that position, Michael?
2: What do I think about that?
1: Yeah, that, in other words, uh, it was Adamic men who saw Adamic women and uh, said, oh, we, we want to mate with them, and somehow that's forbidden.
2: No, that's not forbidden. Yeah, it isn't forbidden.
1: Okay. The Sethite interpretation became the dominant view in the fourth century AD. This view argues that the sons of God in Genesis 6 are descendants of from the godly line of Seth's lineage. Then why would it produce giants all of a sudden, right? Eve's son was born to her after Abel's death in. Okay, he just felt he's talking about Seth. He's not talking about Cain. Uh, after Abel's death in Genesis 4, the daughters of Adam, by contrast, are evil descendants from the ungodly line of Cain. No, they can't be. This shows that he does not understand that white people and the word Adam means to show blood in the face. There's no way that these people can be the descendants of Cain. Uh Is Cain mentioned in the bloodline of Seth?
2: Of Seth, no.
1: No, absolutely not. But he is mentioned in the bloodline of the Canaanites, who merged with the Canaanites, who merged with the Edomites, who became known as Pharisees and Jews. Okay? They don't trace. Yeah, and here here is a really strong objection I have to the position of the non-seedliners because they think that uh, that Cain when he was ejected into the land of nod and built a city married a woman built a city they say there were the only people around were the the daughters of adam adam and eve okay so but uh, it doesn't say that adam and eve had daughters yet it says that later okay but we know that from Genesis 1 that the Adamic species was created in Genesis chapter 26 and 27, and they were given dominion o- over the world, and they were being fruitful and multiplying. Okay? So wh- where did they go, Michael? If they were being fruitful and multiplying already in Genesis chapter 1, where did they go? they just disappear?
2: <laughs> no, they didn't. No, no well, but they, they were here already. When that's we right. were created, we were the last creation. Then we came in, so they were already here. And that's yeah. the one that Cain also mated with.
1: How can you overlook that? How can you overlook that?
2: Uh, what do they do? You, yeah, you need to do that if you want to cover someone's tracks. If you want to make, make the Bible sound silly for people, then you need to do that.
1: And make excuses for the Cain satanic seed line, right? Okay. Yeah. All right, okay. Uh, where was I? Okay, well, so... The daughters of men, by contrast, are evil descendants from the ungodly line of Cain. That's because they don't understand the meaning of the word Adam. God wanted to keep the pure line separate from the impure. So how can he, if the daughters of Adam are the daughters of Cain, how can the the bloodline be kept pure in any way, shape, or form? It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. Makes, makes no sense whatsoever. So uh, again, he's he's giving their perspective. So when the sons of God went into the daughters of men and bore children to them, the bloodlines were mixed. Okay. Well, then why do, was there a flood? It says Noah was perfect in his descent.
2: Yes, in generation. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so he he had not race mixed.
1: Yeah. He's the only one who didn't race mix, right? So, but who were the daughters that uh, Seth, Ham, and and uh, Japheth brought aboard the the the, the ark with with them? Were they were they Adamic women or not?
2: The one, uh, take it again.
1: They they had to be Adamic women.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the, for sure, yeah. yeah.
1: So this idea that the uh, Adamic women are descended from Cain is absolute nonsense.
2: Uh, yeah, that's nonsense.
1: It's absolute nonsense. Okay, yeah, so yeah. it con- continues here. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia references the Sethite view as, quote uh, quote, some commentators hold that by sons of God is to be understood as the pious race descended from Seth and by daughters of men, the daughters of worldly men. These commentators connect the passage with the Genesis 4.25, where the race of Seth is characterized as the worshipers of Yahweh and is designated as a holy seed. Now, at what point do you separate the pure-blooded Adamite male from the pure-blooded Adamite woman?
2: Why, Why would you do that?
1: Yeah, why would you do that? But this is how because they don't understand the meaning of the word Adam to mean those who show blood in the face. They speculate about all these things when they don't, uh, they don't um, refer to the concordances, which tell us clearly the meaning of the word Adam, and it does not mean red dirt. That's what the Jews teach. yeah. They yeah. Teach, yeah, okay. So you can see how this opinion is infected by Judaism. Let's continue. Genesis 4:25 says and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth for God said she had appointed me another seed instead in the stead of Abel. Yeah,
2: instead the of
1: Abel. Yeah, and therefore Seth actually means replacement.
2: Replacement, yeah.
1: Right. But Abel did not sin whom Cain slew. Cain is the one who sinned. Cain is the one who rebelled. This argument says that because Seth was the replacement child for Abel, as mentioned in Genesis 4.25, they were the worshipers of Yahweh. Absolutely. Well, Now he says this is not accurate. No, it is absolutely accurate. The passage in question is Genesis 4.26, which states, Then began men to call upon the name of Yahweh. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) right? I mean, what don't you get? Only says that around the time Seth was born, men began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Well, who would have taught Seth the name of Yahweh? Adam and Eve. Well, that's true, and maybe Yahweh himself.
2: Him too, yeah.
1: Yeah, it doesn't say anything about Seth or his sons or grandsons calling upon the name of Yahweh, though they probably did. Yeah, and... Abraham is—it's very clear. Uh, oh, in uh, in the episode where Moses marries a daughter, uh, a, 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 not an Ephraimite, sorry, a uh, a Midianite woman who is uh, also a descendant of Abraham, uh, and that was Jethro. Jethro taught Abraham the name of Yahweh. Now, where did he get that from? Maybe he's a Sethite, <laughs> right, <laughs> as we all are. All white people are descendants of Seth, okay? So the name of Yahweh, well, now we have to remember that Abram lived in Chaldea for the early part of his life, and his father was a pagan. So yep. would Ab- Abram have learned the name of Yahweh from a pagan? No, he would not. No, no. So Abram had to relearn the name of Yahweh from Jethro, who was not a Chaldean. Okay? Uh, You have to know the history of behind the Bible to understand what's going on here, and these people do not have enough historical knowledge to distinguish what's going on. Okay? So let's continue. This argument says that because Seth was the replacement child of Abel, as mentioned in Genesis 4.25, they were the worshipers of Yahweh, and that is accurate. The passage in question is Genesis four twenty six, which states, "Then began men to call upon the name of Yahweh." Well, here is perfect evidence that the name of Yahweh was available to the Sethites. Okay, do we believe the Bible or do we believe the Jew? Only says that around the time of Seth was born, men began to call upon the name of Yahweh. Well, because he well, didn't Adam and Eve speak with Yahweh in the garden? Yeah, they did. Yeah. So would Seth have? Forgotten that or ignored that?
3: I don't no. think so. Folks. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. I don't...
1: Yeah, right. Okay. The idea that only people from Seth's lineage began to call on the mm. name of the Lord is read into the verse. Well, because the rest of the people were the sons of Cain and they would not. And to this day, the Jews refuse to name the, uh, Yahweh by his proper name. And they make excuses for saying, oh, well, his name is too holy to be pronounced. Therefore, they don't pronounce it. Okay. Well, it may be too holy for them to pronounce. (laughs) But righteous Israelites use the name of Yahweh uh, profusely and pray to him. And that's why our prayers are answered. Okay. Let's continue. Moreover, in Genesis 6, Seth and Cain aren't mentioned by name at all, but the sons of God, Ben Elohim, which means the same Ben Elohim that created the white race in Genesis 1, why Why should we deviate from that? Are not said to be of Seth's lineage. There you go. They're not said to be that. And the passage calls the women daughters of Adam. Okay, he's got it right. He's got it. He's got this right. The women are the daughters of Adam, not the descendants of Cain. So he does see some light. There's a glimmer of hope here that the men are from Seth's lineage and the women are coming from Cain's lineage must be read into the text, which is eisegesis, not exegesis. In other words, eisegesis is when you distort the Bible by putting your own interpretation upon it rather than reading it for what it actually says. Okay? That's something that we don't want to do. Amen to that. Okay? All right, folks, let's take a break here because uh, this is really good in in the sense that he speaks a lot of truth that we two seedliners would agree with. But still, we can see that he's got a lot of delusion from Judeo-Christianity, which is to be expected. Okay? All right, folks, so let's, uh, let's listen to some music. And... Yeah, my favorite here is, let us call upon the name, since that's what we're talking about. We'll be right back, folks. Okay, the song is not responding. There we go. The
3: mistakes you have made on the way. Father can't And all the wounds you sustained here today, Father, can heal them. The darkness of a deep, despair filled ocean can overwhelm the strongest of souls, and the tide rolls.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We are discussing the fallen ones and the daughters of men. And it is really interesting that this author is beginning to get it, <laughs> right? By and large, and for the most part, I would have to say, he agrees with us two seedliners about what took place in Genesis chapter 6, fallen angels mating with the daughters of Adam, Okay. With the Daughters of Adam, not with all races, the devil has always wanted to destroy the white race. Isn't that the case, Michael? He's always wanted to destroy us, yeah. not not the other races.
2: Exactly. Okay. We are the prime target.
1: Amen. We are the target. And,
2: and then also now, I guess, uh, don't they try to Mongolize the Japanese also because they are also, they? Um, I, I guess also that because they also helped Germany during the Second World War. So they, they hate yeah. them because of that, I guess.
1: Yeah, and the and the Japanese know who and what the Jews are. <laughs> There's no love for. In fact, the entire Oriental world has no love for the Jews. You know, because the Oriental, the Oriental people are devious themselves, and they can see a devious Jew. <laughs> they can recognize a devious Jew when they see one. It's only white people who are gullible like he oh. was, okay? Yeah. All right?
2: Tell me about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I will. But first, we have to uh, do a little bit of work for the sponsor here, and that is Money Tree Publishing, who, that is the owner of Speak Free Radio, and they have several books available and uh, CDs and DVDs, et cetera. So Myth of German Villainy, right? That's a myth. That's a Jewish myth. Mein Kampf, great book by Adolf. Henry de Ford. Henry Ford, the perfidious, uh, no, I'm sorry, the international Jew. What should we call it? the perfidious Jew? The Jews are the problem. My book, The Great Impersonation, and Exposing the Lies of History, and of course, a lot of stuff on his other website about the assault on liberty by the perfidious Jews of Israel and the attempt to cover that up by people like LBJ and others who are nothing but pawns of the international Jew. All right, a Host and the Parasite. There we go. Now we're getting close. And In the Name of Yahweh and the Synagogue of Satan, two really good books that and Jewish supremacism, they, even though it is by, uh, uh, by a guy who doesn't to understand who the Jews really are. Okay, all right, but be that as it may, we in identity know who the Jews are and where they came from, and that's what we're talking about today, so oh, okay, all right, I lost my text michael <laughs> uh do you see where we, we left off?
2: no, I didn't okay. really okay um, i I'll,
1: I'll have to get back I'll have to switch to the uh,
2: uh okay i think to... i I think I can start i think i know where you, where you can start up
1: yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, please continue. I had covered up that website with the uh, Money Tree Publishing website and uh, therefore lost it. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Please continue.
2: So, this argument says that because Seth was the replacement child of Abel, as mentioned in Genesis 4.25, they were the worshippers of Yahweh. This is not accurate. The passage is questioning in Genesis 4.26, which states, Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And that from the KJV only says that around that time Seth was born. Man began to call upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't say anything about Seth or his sons and grandsons calling upon the name of the Lord, though they probably did. The idea that only people from Seth lineage began to call on the name of the Lord is read into the verses. And if 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 your parents have known. Yahweh's his name. Don't they also teach their children about the name? So it goes on. So of course they would be used the word of Yahweh. I I can't really understand that logic. They wouldn't. What?
1: Yeah. Well, you have to also remember, you know, because we just talked about the fact that Abram, uh, his father was a pagan. And therefore, Abram would not have known the name of Yahweh. But then the Israelites would have forgotten it while they were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. So those are the two reasons why the Israelites forgot his name. But Moses was reminded of that name by Jethro. Back to you.
2: Moreover, in Genesis 6, Seth and Cain aren't mentioned by name at all. The sons of God are not said to be of Seth lineage. And the passage calls the women daughters of men, Adam in Hebrew, rather than daughters of Cain. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. That the men are from Seth lineage, and the women are from cain's lineage must be read into the text, which is um yes i um, jesus
1: i Ise, Ise, meaning uh, meaning pretend, uh, pretending to uh, uh, Interpret the the scriptures for yourself and for everybody else, and not not uh, see, reading exactly what it says, right? So they're interpreting the scriptures for us and expect us to believe their
2: interpretation is accurate. Okay. Okay. So it's yeah. Um, I see Jesus, not exegesis. There you go. That's something we don't want to do.
1: That's right, but uh, all the Judeo's do it. <laughs> That's what you learn in divinity school: how to corrupt the text and and, and pretend. You know, because all these Judeos, I hear them say it all the time. The Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. But if you read it exactly what according to the words mean in the Hebrew and the Greek, then they don't want to believe you <laughs> when you read it accurately. All right, so then they, they throw that uh, that belief out the window. Oh, no, it doesn't. It can't mean that. It can't mean to show blood in the face. Well, look in your concordance.
2: All right? And then, then Eli, you shattered their whole world. It goes oh, yeah. to... Right. Yeah. You Shattered their world. What? Do, yeah. do you think I believed lies all my life? Uh, yep, yeah. you have. Yep.
1: Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. But that's, yeah, but that's the way it is. Okay. All right, please
2: continue. Finally, as Michael Heiser wrote... A close reading of Genesis 6, 1-4 makes it clear that a contrast is being created between two classes of individuals, one human and the other divine. When speaking of how humanity was multiplying on earth, verse 1, that text mentions only daughters. Daughters were born to them. Mm -hmm. the point is not literally that every birth in the history of the earth after Cain and Abel resulted in a girl rather (laughs) the the writer is setting up a contrast of two groups the first group is human and female the daughters of humankind
1: or Adam not humankind
2: that's a perversion of the meaning Okay. Um, verses two introdu- introduces the other group for the contrast, the sons of God. That group is not human but divine.
1: Okay, or angelic. I don't want to give them divinity, you know, but they they're from the spiritual realm. Now, in this case, it is proper to spiritualize the text because that's where they come from. They come from the non physical realm. All right, please
2: continue. Not only that. But it completely ignores 2 Peter 2 and Jude 7, which um, adopts First Enoch interpretation of the Genesis 6 event. And that event is clearly uh, mingling between divine beings and humans.
1: There you go. There you go. Here, let me pick up uh, alternative 2 because this interests me. Because there's a Jew who wrote a book that says the Jewish people are descended from Neanderthals, (laughs) right? And I tend to agree with that. But let me just uh, read a first couple of paragraphs here. This interpretation, sorry, let me give you the title, Alternative to Neanderthals. This interpretation is adopted by Greg Davidson in his book, Friend of Science, Friend of Faith. Davidson wrote, quote, One might speculate further given the genetic evidence we have today if the Genesis story dates back to a period of overlap between Adamites and Neanderthals, this could have occurred if the date was several tens of thousands years ago, or if a population of Neanderthals persisted beyond what we find, for even if a highly hybridized subpopulation existed at the same time as the first true Adamites. So again, this is going beyond the scope of typical judeo-christianity which only assumes that the earth is only six thousand years old okay so this is long earth or old earth creationism that they're talking about here which the vast majority of judeo-christians do not believe they believe in that the six days of genesis were literal 24-hour days which of course is nonsense okay they were eons they were ages and there's no telling how long ago and there are all kinds of evidence uh Showing that Atlantis did exist, pre uh, pre uh, Genesis one civilizations with unbelievable technology did exist, what, and they could not have existed in six mere, mere six days and then be destroyed. In uh, you know, because the evidence is buried in the earth, right? And the uh, flood of Noah did not bury the entire earth in sediment. That's an absurd proposition. So, yeah, th- this is a subject that really galls me that these uh, literal six-day creationists don't understand that there was an age before Genesis 1. But let's continue. Neanderthals were not the brutish ape men depicted in cartoons, though of diminished cognitive potential relative to Adamite's or even Cro-Magnon, who were Nordic in appearance, Neanderthals were nonetheless similar to humans in appearance and many behaviors. Okay, that much I will buy. They lived in groups, fabricated tools, placed items related to daily life in the graves of their dead, and may have engaged in... Now, isn't it true that wherever the white man goes, the native population imitates the white man? Because we teach them. We teach them our technology, right? Oh, and yeah, sometimes uh, okay, so this is what the ape men did, okay, though of diminished cognitive potential relative to atomites, Neanderthals were nonetheless similar to atomites in appearance and many behaviors. they lived in groups, fabricated tools, placed items related to daily life in the graves of their dead, and may have engaged in rudimentary art. Neanderthals were not taller than humans, but their bone structure was designed for a greater musculature and greater strength. Plus, their, their skulls were very much different from, from Adamic skulls. Reproduction between humans and Neanderthals, now documented within the human genome, could have possibly produced individuals of admirable strength and prowess in hunting or battle. So this is a possible origin for the giant's. I think is what the point is here. It is also possible for hybrids to combine genes in a way that produces traits not found in either parent, a phenomenon known as heterosis. It is possible that some of these offspring could have had unusual stature as well as strength. A lot of them were pygmies. Okay, we have evidence there were the the pictus the. Legend of the pixies, right, in Ireland and England and Scotland, uh, little people. And there's still little people like that, even in Turkey. People have spotted them and reported their witness, giving people another reason to identify them by a special name. The Neanderthal interpretation certainly has the advantage of explaining why their offspring with Homo sapiens were unusual. Their great strength could have been inherited from the Neanderthal side of the family, and their height could have been a result of heterosis. This view also recognizes that Genesis 6 presents a violation between a non-human lineage and a, an Adamic lineage. However, there are too many issues with this interpretation to consider it tenable, okay? So why don't you pick it up from here? Oh, actually, here, let me finish this, and I'll turn it over to you at Alternative 3 There's only one more paragraph. First of all, why in the world would God or Yahweh call these non-Adamite hominids sons of God, (laughs) right? A very good question. That doesn't make any sense. Also, this interpretation ignores the fact that 2 Peter and Jude says that the sin that occurred in the days of Noah was an angelic sin, sometimes explicitly quoting and at other times alluding to the book of 1 Enoch. The New Testament tells us that the sin in Noah's day was a sin committed by angels who abandoned their proper abode, not keeping to their own domain, and engaging in gross immorality. Well, that describes Jews, doesn't it? Thirdly, the Bible calls divine beings sons of God several times in the Old Testament, Job 1.6, Job 2.1, Job thirty through 7 and Psalm 82. Making divine beings a more likely candidate in the New Testament, Jesus called the Son. He, he is called the Son of God. For example, John three sixteen. Although the Bible is clear that He is the species unique Son of God, yeah, He's an Adamite. Okay, the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter three, clearly gives us the genealogy of Yahshua Messiah, going all the way back to Adam and to Yahweh Himself. All, although the Bible is clear that he is the species-unique Son of God. There it, there you go. Having the exact same essence as the Father, John 10.30, he is Yahweh, the creator of absolutely everything that exists. All right? Man, this is as close to two seed line as you can possibly get. John 1, 1-3, Hebrews 1, an appropriate object of worship. Matthew 2.11, 14.33, etc., and the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus 3.14, John 8.58. The only non-divine beings ever called the sons of God in the Bible are Christian Adamites, John one verse twelve, And Israel corporately, Exodus 4.22. And I would stress, no other people not mere humans, only Adamites and Israelites, back to you. This is really a good article, because without intending to, he verifies two-seed-line theology. Thank you very much. Okay, Michael. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Thank you. So, alternative three, the ancient king's view. This view is most plausible of the non-supernatural interpretations, but it too falls short of explanatory scope. Michael Jones of Inspiring Philosophy accepts this view, and in my opinion, he gives the strongest defense for it. Therefore, I will um, interact uh, specifically with his argument for it. Jones explains that this view interprets the sons of God referred to earthly kings, of tribal leaders, who use their power and authority to begin practicing uh, polygamy or the right of first night by taking as many as they choose.
1: Okay, so uh, the, there's a typo here. It's the right uh, uh okay, no, maybe it is. The first night that, in other words that uh, it, it actually existed in feudalism that the feudal lord had the right if a if a serf gets married, the feudal lord could have sex with your bride before you do okay well of course the Jews want that too, don't they? <laughs> the fallen angels wanted that too but uh, it clearly ignores the two bloodlines coming out of Genesis chapter 3 and 4 okay the the Canite Cain, bloodline and of course the Adamic bloodline all right so but nevertheless the earthly kings that who were descended from Cain and only from Cain, because we're not given any other power structure besides that of the Adamites and the Kenites. So it could only be Kenites, tribal leaders, who use their power and authority to practice polygamy and the
2: right of first night. Okay, back to you. Jones explains that this view interprets... The Sons of God. I I read that one, sorry. Uh, Michael Jones bases his case on four lines of argument, which he uh, defines as follows. One, imminent context. Two, surrounding context. Three, larger context. Themes in Genesis. Cultural parallels. Um, Atheraesis and... Eridu Genesis. Yeah, and what is that? Heard,
1: yeah. yeah, I haven't heard the term Atrahasis. Uh, Eridu Genesis, I think, is a, uh, a a similar text to Genesis, you know, from Eridu. but uh, it's a, a lot of authors say, especially non-Christian authors, say that the Book of Genesis was just copied from other sources that are presumably older than the Bible. No, there's nothing older than the Bible. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. The Bible covers it all, covers all of Earth's history better than any other book ever written. And the other books just show a glimmer, a glimmer of understanding and very little at that. But I agree with the uh, concept that context You must explore the context of Scripture to uh, properly interpret it. And sometimes that context requires knowing history, okay? Because the Bible is a history book, folks. It's not just a book of theology. It is a history book. The literal line of descent of Adam through Seth is history.
2: Yes, and that that is what's... Uh, what okay. makes two seed line message so interesting because we also use history to understand the context and trying to understand where we are in, the, in, right. in Yahweh's fantastic timeline.
1: Don't do that, Michael. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, you know, no, this is the King James only crowd would have us believe that you don't need to know biblical history in order to understand the Bible. That's mm. what they preach. Okay.
2: You, you need okay. to use history. You need to know who you are. You need to know your enemy and then your Bible. And then, then, then yeah. the keys The key to understand the Bible is two-seed line message. Context. Without that, you, you, can't, yeah. you can't understand it if you don't have the two-seed line message.
1: Yeah, all of history is context because Yahweh created the planet, he created the universe, and he inspired the Bible. So it's all closely related. You cannot divorce the two concepts. Back to you.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Regarding the first, Michael Jones says, first, nothing from the Hebrew Bible survived to the present, except for these four verses. It can hardly be argued that this passage refers to any sort of um, union between women and and divine beings. Just go with me for a minute and just look at what the text says by itself without thinking about it later authors might indicate. The text begins by telling us mankind being to multiply throughout the land. Then it introduces another group called sons of God, who had daughters of men, then, and verses 3 says, My spiritual shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. Odd enough, God's own statement tells us who causes anger. Um, It was uh, men, not men in divine beings. Verse 3 indicates the two groups of verses 2 were two. Uh classes of humans. Versus one sets the context is a humankind producing offspring. And versus three indicates the problem arises from two classes of humans.
1: Okay, so that's his perspective. And uh you know obviously two c line disagrees with that perspective, but let's see what the author of this piece has to say in
2: response to that. <laughs> The problem with this argument is that it is clearly an argument from silence, and it does not take into account the rest of the evidence. Obviously, if human beings were willingly having sex with divine beings, they would be guilty of the, the sin of uh, abandoning the natural created order. Oh, and really? yeah, and as Jude says, engaging in sexual immorality and seeking after strange flesh, and that is race mixing. Amen. In this case, the human woman would be seeking the strange flesh of the angel. Moreover, it is clear that while uh, the Nephilim uh, incident was one reason that God sent the flood, oh, it was not the only reason. General human depravity was also a motivating (laughs) factor. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we still have that, don't we? General human depravity.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, but now it's feeling like worse yeah, It's today. everywhere. Oh, and, yeah.
1: And, as, it was in, as it was in the days of Noah, right? General human depravity.
2: Good oh, expression. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, every, now G- we have...
1: GHD. Right. We're all suffering from GHD. Okay.
2: Yeah. As Christians have traditionally believed. This is evident from verses 5 and 6, which says... The Lord um, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animal and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Mm. Um, so, of course, God would say that his spirit would not strive with man forever. Right. Human beings were just as guilty as the divine beings who left their proper abode. As Jude 6 2, 7 says, that God does not mention the divine beings in the statement of who he will not strive with, uh, wherever is not indicated that there is no one else that. He is um, driving with it.
1: Yeah. Well, who was he upset with? Obviously, he would be upset with the fallen angels, but he's even more upset with the women who cohabited with the fallen angels, right? Because they're not supposed to do that. But I, I could also see the argument, okay, well, maybe maybe the uh, Kenites we're also cohabiting with the Adamic women. You know, Yahweh would be upset about that too, right? He, he would be upset. But this is not talking about Kenites. This is talking about fallen ones.
2: All right, back to you. Yeah, uh, this is the same logic that Zhang Earth uh, creationists employ. There you employ. go. All right. In trying to argue that no one ever ate meat prior to the flood, based on <laughs> Genesis one twenty nine, which says, And God said to them, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seeds and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, And do everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Young earth creationists argue from this passage that God does not mention to uh, the humans and the animals that he has given them any sort of animals for food. He only mentions a plant yielding seed and every tree with seed in its fruit. Young Earth creationists argue that, um, therefore, everyone, human Uh, and animal alike, had uh, a vegetarian uh, diet.
1: uh, Oh, uh, lions and tigers had a vegetarian diet?
2: No, uh, I don't think you can
1: prove that in any way. All right, back to you. Sorry.
2: (laughs) No, (laughs) but... Just like Jones' argument from Genesis 6-3, the fact that God does not mention that he gave animals other animals to eat in Genesis 1 does not at all mean that he did not give animals other animals for food. You cannot make an argument on the basis of what you do not find in the text.
1: Right. Well, it's interesting because uh, what about the fish of the sea? Don't they eat other fish? Okay,
3: yeah, and then,
1: yeah, yeah, they always have. There's no evidence that they ne- never did. Okay, and then their poop uh, uh, settles to the bottom of the ocean, and that's where shrimp and other animals eat it up, right? So, and there's, and there's living bacteria in that poop, right, that you could not call plant life, right? So, yeah, it's obvious that uh, animals were eating animals in Genesis chapter 1. Just because it doesn't state it explicitly doesn't mean that it wasn't happening, okay? Yeah. Now, yeah, you can't argue from you know uh, this because some somebody doesn't say something. You can't extrapolate to what he believes, right? And so that's what these people are doing. They're extrapolating their opinion. And again, it's more eisegesis, not
2: exegesis. Okay, back to you. To do so commits the logical fallacy known as the argument from silence. Whether or not there was um, carnivorous activity before the fall, one would have to look at other evidence, whether that be evidence in the Bible or scientific evidence. Likewise, whether or not those coming under God's judgment in the great deluge consists of more than human beings, one would have to look at more than just this passage. Right, right, yeah. So
1: it's meager evidence to make the claim that all animals were vegetarians
2: before the flood. Oh, please, please, all right, sorry. (laughs) Moreover, the term sons of God benai ha-elohim in hebrew almost always referred to divine beings in the old testament the usage of uh, benai ha-elohim which referred to divine beings are to be found in deuteronomy 32 verses 8 to 9 job 1 verses 6 job 38 verses 7 and psalms 82 verses 6 this makes the likelihood of that it also refers to divine beings in Genesis six, very likely the okay. only time in yep. and the only time in the Old Testament in which the term does not refer to a divine being is when it is referring to a co- uh, corporate Israel as in exodus four verse twenty two
1: yeah we are the sons of God yeah yeah. You in got the a new trust? <laughs> no. Okay.
2: Yeah. All right. But it, a lot of our people that doesn't really care about that. I think they yeah, they right. they don't think that is any importance. They just want to have a good time, fun. They think yeah. being here is having fun all the time.
1: Yeah. In Genesis two seven, Yahweh breathed His breath into Adam, and as the discussion in the chat room is going, that uh, you know how it, the the Bible says, you know. Yahweh took Adam's rib. However, it doesn't say that. Uh, the That word is sila, and it means side. That's the only passage in which the word sila is translated as rib, and there's no justification for that. So I believe, and I think that's what uh, is being argued in the chat room, that uh, that Yahweh adjusted Eve's DNA to match that of Adam so that they become one flesh, okay? Meaning... They were made for each other. Okay. So he had to, whatever change he made to Adam in Genesis 2 7, which is breathing the Holy Spirit into him, Eve had to have that same DNA to accommodate Adam's DNA. So out of the uh, Cro Magnon white people in Genesis 1, Yahweh took two individuals, namely Adam and Eve. He did not breathe the Holy Spirit into the entire race. He just breathed it into Adam and Eve, and they were supposed to create a semi-immortal race. That's what Genesis 1 through 3 is telling us. Back to you, Michael.
2: Thank you. So, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, the phrase carries over to refer to human Christians, men who be- become sons of God, though... Amen adoption by the Holy Spirit, as we see in John 1, verses 12. However, in the Old Testament, 7 out of 10 times it refers to divine or angelic beings. Michael Jones acknowledged this fact in his video, but basically says, So what? It's (laughs) used to refer to human beings at a time as well.
1: Yeah, but and, who does it refer to in Genesis chapter 6? <laughs> All right, <laughs> Mere mortals?
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, uh, and cites 2 Samuel 7, verses 14, Exodus 4, verses 22, Deuteronomy 14, verses 1, and Psalms 80, verses 15. True enough, but I am not going to hang the quasi-divine or angelic hybrid interpretation on a single title. I do use it as evidence, but only as one piece of evidence within a cumulative case.
1: Okay, so I think we can also add the fact that the Bible clearly says that these fallen angels were not destroyed. Their spirits still abide in the underworld, waiting judgment. Okay, which means, well, that doesn't, uh, you know, for us, and certainly not for Israelites, we, we were forgiven at the cross. Our old sins were forgiven at the cross. We weren't dredged out of the underworld, okay? <laughs> Even though the spirits of Israel did come out of the grave to announce to the living Israelites that Yahshua the Messiah had come and was resurrected, okay? Nothing like that is said about these fallen ones, okay? Back to you.
2: Jones then writes, outside of the Hebrew Scripture, it was common to refer to the king as a son of God. In the Ugaric myth, King Karet is identified as son of El. In ancient uh, Judea's cylinder, the ruler of Judea is also referred to as son of a god. So, is possibly another Sumerian ruler. So, calling ancient kings sons of God was an ancient cultural norm, and given the Immediate context of the passage, there is nothing unusual here about the sons of God being ancient rulers who uh, became corrupt by becoming uh, poly-gamous. polygamous. Yeah. Polygamous.
1: Yeah. Well, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, David and Solomon, and actually most of the kings of Israel and Judah, were polygamous. They had many wives. Okay.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. And the law simply says to the kings, well, don't have many wives because that will that'll, uh, that'll distract you from a good rulership, right? Okay, so all of the, virtually all of the. How about Abraham?
2: He had. Oh, wives. he had, yeah, they had, had.
1: So that that is not an argument, okay? He fails to recognize that the Israelites were very polygamous. Back to you.
2: And that's, I also believe, is one reason why we got so many multiply upon the earth. You can't have just one. If you have only one, then you won't be so so many. I mean, the Muslims is practicing polygamy today, and they are increasing like...
1: yeah uh, like rabbits, right <laughs> uh, yeah
2: they do, they do because we want them you can't you can't really do that you you yeah. are restricted to the wombs and how long time that yeah. takes, so
1: and, and even brag about it in their videos saying to the British, we are multiplying like rabbits, and pretty soon there'll be more of us than are of you, and we're taking over
2: yep. They yeah. uh, say the same in Germany. I've seen the same clips in Germany where right. they say that that our 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 guys why our daughters marry your your sons and daughters and blah blah all this, and then you will be. yeah.
1: And if they don't marry white women, they will rape them.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, okay. they do.
1: Yeah, yep. All right.
2: Okay, let's continue. Um. As they took as their wives any they shoes would indicate. Mm-hmm. But again, the case for the angelic hybrid interpretation does not rest solely on the phrase sons of God. But, moreover, it is indeed the case that oh. pagan ancient kings consider themselves to be offsprings of deities. But nowhere else in the Bible is the term sons of God used yeah. in the
1: yeah, very important point. Did, did David and Solomon and the other kings of Israel and Judah claim to be gods? No. In in this sense, in the sense that the pagans did, absolutely not.
2: No, okay. they didn't. They didn't brag about it.
1: Right. No. And <laughs> they may have thought that way, but they didn't brag about it. Correct. Back to you.
2: Yeah. Like the Jews, the snobby brag instead. Right.
1: Yeah. Yahweh looks over the rabbi's shoulder and and, and is instructed by that rabbi. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jewish hogwash. Yeah, right. There you go. (laughs) All right.
2: Use it in reference to such rulers unless you uh, presuppose that Genesis 6 is an instance of that. I think it would be quite odd that Moses would sort of legitimize their uh, divine uh, kingship by calling them sons of God. You would think that Moses would want to legitimize their divine authority, especially considered that Moses just got done battling with a king, Pharaoh who consider themselves to be a god, and a god who could go uh, toe-to-toe with Yahweh, no less. Yeah, right. This would be quite unusual given that in Genesis 1, many scholars find anti-pagan god uh, polemics. For example, instead of calling the sun and moon by their Hebrew names, which were also the names of deities who were worshipped by those names, He simply calls them the greater light and the lesser light. And he doesn't even bother to mention them until day four of the Genesis creation narratives. Why would Moses not also use non-divine terms to delegitimize the divine nature of these ancient pagan kings? Perhaps, Jones could argue that he used the phrase to alert his readers that kings who believed themselves to be divine were the identity of who he was talking about. However, Moses could have identified them without directly calling them sons of God.
1: Yeah, now the, the Caesars of Rome also claimed to be gods. Do you believe that? <laughs> right? Okay?
2: Yeah. No, no.
1: None of the Hebrew kings claim that.
2: No, okay. they don't.
1: Just because pagans do that doesn't mean that we do it. All right, back to you.
2: And when you come to that, to claiming godship, isn't that also now almost what money has become in the world? Now, with oh, the money, yeah. they could do that everything they want. That's why people worship it because they think Idle. they are gods.
1: Idol worship. Yeah. No oh, doubt yeah. About it. Yeah.
2: Okay. He could have said kings who believe themselves to be sons of God, or rulers who thought themselves to be gods, or something like that. I realize that Hebrew is a small language, but it wasn't too small that Moses couldn't have used different vocabulary. Right. Yeah.
1: So don't infer... Now, like I said earlier, you either believe what it says or you don't, <laughs> right? Jesus versus exegesis, all
2: right. Uh, so, Jones goes on to cite from scholars Kenneth Matthew and John Walton, who argues that the Nephilim might not be direct descendants of the sons of God, but simply a group that existed before the transgression of the sons of God, and also after the sin began. While I have nothing but the utmost respect for Professor John Walton, I think that he is utterly wrong here, um, as is Michael Jones. This interpretation of the Nephilim makes the Nephilim utterly unconnected to the flood narrative in any way. Basically, um, it amounts to Moses saying the sons of God went into the uh, daughters of men. By the way, there were these uh, mighty warriors around. Now, because of the sin of the sons of God and the daughters of men, God is going to destroy the world. Clearly, the presence of the Nephilim is not a random historical fact that Moses decided to throw in there because he found it to be an interesting uh, factoid. There is clearly a connection between the sin of the do- sons of God and daughters of men, and the presence of the Nephilim.
1: Amen! That's, that's only logical. <laughs> okay.
2: These two are connected as the vast majority of Old Testament and ancient Near Eastern scholars agree.
1: Yeah, so speculations of modernists uh, are hardly even worth considering, but uh, they are respected theologians, right? So we must refute what they're
2: saying. Back to you. Jones then goes on to say that even if angelic hybrids uh, proponents are correct in saying that the Nephilim are the direct offspring of the sons of God and daughters of men, the problem is that the um, imminent context of the text defines what the Nephilim are for us. Jones underlines the part of the passage in his YouTube video that says... These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of the name. The Hebrew word here is um, giborim.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, So So, so it's telling us that these giborim existed before the flood. Men of renown. Famous all over the world. Just like in America, the uh, Native Americans all talked about giants. Okay. Chinese all talk about giants, even Australians had and their bones are everywhere, not just in the Middle East. Okay.
2: Yes, so Jones is basically like look, it says these are just men, mighty men, men of the name, they're men, not half God, half human creatures. And no quote.
1: Well, they were still mortal beings, right? So you would you know, you wouldn't, the, the the Nephilim, they were the offspring. They weren't divine. They were only partly divine, I think this author would say. Okay.
2: Yes. Do you want to read on the last part?
1: Yeah. Okay. We got, what, about 10 minutes to go? Okay. This is a very poor argument. Obviously, if the quasi-angel was an adult male of great strength and stature, we would expect them to be called mighty men. What other term would the author use to describe them, (laughs) right? After all, on my view, they would be at least half-human, so calling them men with any kind of prefix or suffix seems appropriate, in my opinion. Moreover, by this reasoning, the the reasoning that because the term mighty men is used, that therefore these are just regular human beings, then Michael Jones would be forced to say that the men who appeared to Abram in Genesis 18 were also just ordinary men, pure humans. And these were, in fact, angels appearing in human form and uh, capable of eating with, uh, with Abraham and Lot. And uh, also the, the, the uh, humans in Sodom and Gomorrah were also uh, physical enough to have sex with have homosexual sex with, by the way, okay? So Genesis 18.2 says, And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them. And this is, I think, this is before the, the lot episode. From the tent door and cast himself toward the ground. The Hebrew word here translated as men is anasim, A-N-A-S-I-M, Michael, could you look that word up? Anasim. Okay, this is uh, Genesis eighteen twenty-six, I believe. No, no, I'm sorry, or eighteen two. Yeah, Genesis eighteen two, and Mm -hmm. that now here here again is another example of the King James perversion leading us astray, because it by using the word men. To translate anasim, it equates Adam kind with anasim. It also does it. There's at least eight different Hebrew words that are translated as man. When the Hebrew does makes tremendous distinctions among these various categories, consequently, the King James perversion is leading us astray by using the word man for all of these different words. It's just like okay. Uh, are Swedes different from Americans?
2: Racially, we are not. Yeah. Uh, but,
1: but territorially?
2: Uh, then we are different and maybe a bit culture, but we are still the same yeah. racially.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you, you cannot. Yeah, And so we are Adamites, but not all humans are Adamites. Okay. And so, no. all right. And so Anasim is not an Adamite. I would not think so. But I haven't looked yeah. at this word before. Yeah, is it but... the
2: word man? I should look up men.
1: Yeah, in uh, Genesis 18.2.
2: Yeah, men. So the first uh, three men, and the word is anir. Okay. with reference to sex, of a male, of a husband, of a uh, betrothed or future husband, okay. with reference to age and the dis- distinguish an adult man from a boy, any male. Okay.
1: okay. Well, is it not true that uh, female Adamites are also Adamites? <laughs> How else would the race propagate?
2: No, it wouldn't be possible.
1: So, so he's saying here that there's only a reference to the males. Okay. So, uh, so where does he get this word "anasim" for? What is the uh, word that you have in uh, in your
2: component? Uh, l- wait, I uh, know I lost uh, oh, a okay. the bar. Three men there.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh-huh, but that's that's strange. Okay, I should look in 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 Strong's. Of course, I looked li- I looked in the wrong. So oh, okay. the word "men" is then in uh, in Strong's is "ish." Ish. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So he gives an entirely different word. So ish simply means male of any species. Yes, that's, that's what the word ish means. So because you see in Genesis chapter six, the male and female animals that uh, Noah brought aboard the ark are described as ish and isha. They are not more. They are not uh, bipeds. They are four-legged ish and isha. Okay. So you cannot, you have to have an accurate translation of ish and isha to understand the text. Ta- you cannot generalize all these words as being humanoids. You cannot do that. And specifically not all dumb because we're the ones who show blood in the face, okay? I don't know where he comes up with this word anasim. All right, so uh, that, that might be, uh, yeah, yeah, ish is probably the correct word. But maybe he knows better than strong. That's possible. Okay, so let's continue. Although it is not the same Hebrew word used in Genesis 6, giborim, nevertheless, I think that a similar argument could be employed. Anasim, he uses this word again, not ish, most often is used of ordinary men like we read in Genesis 12.20, and Genesis thirteen eight. Now maybe Strong's is incorrect. Maybe the word is honestum. So if Jones is going, and I found many errors in the uh, uh, you know the Strong's concordance. So if Jones is going to argue that Gibberim, mighty men, means that the nephilim were just regular human beings, then he would have to say that the men who went to visit Lot and saw them were were not really angels. And that is obviously not a valid interpretation. No, they just appeared out of thin air, right? And they went back. The same. The same is true in the lot episode. Okay. So, let's. Uh, okay, around. I think uh, just a few minutes left here. Around 11 minutes into his video, Jones argues for the ancient divinized king's interpretation by arguing that there's a running theme in Genesis 4, 5, and 6. Namely, there are violence, polygamy, and pride in all three of these texts. I wouldn't dispute that violence and polygamy are found in Genesis 4, 5, and 6. But does this really invalidate the view that the sons of God were divine beings and the Nephilim quasi-divine beings? One of the arguments that Jones makes is, but also note as well, Noah is contrasted with unrighteous human beings and uh, have his day as being a righteous man. And that's that's what he's described as, where the others were unrighteous. Isn't that correct, Michael? Mm -hmm. All the people outside of Noah's family were committing egregious sins. And and this is what Yahshua means, uh, it shall be as in the days of Noah, unrighteousness prevailing today. We are reminded constantly of one of the features of Noah, that he had one wife and his sons each only had one wife. That is presuming that uh, polygamy was outlawed by Yahweh. There's, There's no such statement that it's outlawed. Okay. But what is outlawed is race mixing. And the fact of the story of Judah and his non-wife, Tamar, he never married her. She played the whore, and he got twin sons, Perez and Zerah. Yahweh does not condemn uh, Judah for having sex with a white woman. <laughs> and that's falsely translated in your King James as well as being um, a sin of... Um, Uh, what's the word, uh, sex outside of marriage, okay? No, uh, his offspring are not condemned for being bastards at all, because that's what the modern definition of bastard is, sex outside of marriage. But in those days, it was not regarded as awful sin, as race-mixing, right? Judah did not race, well, he, he, he did have a Canaanite wife, and he bore three sons by her, but that's not true of Tamar because she was an Aramaic woman of the white race, okay? so And, and what is uh, Deuteronomy 32, 2, saying, a, a bastard shall not enter the congregation of Yahweh? What's the word uh, there?
2: Until 10th generation.
1: Yeah, right. And the word there is, oh, what's the Hebrew word for a bastard? <laughs> for a mongrel. It's the Hebrew word for mongrel. It's not a a, a wife or a child born out of wedlock. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. And stay tuned for uh, the David Duke show right there on Speak Free Radio. And for those of you who want to stay tuned to EFR, Brother Abraham will be right up. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Thank you, Mike.